Alrighty, alrighty, we are midway through our five-week series. Once again, my name is Ephraim Peña. I am the campus pastor here, uh, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning with us. So like I said, we're midway, mid, midway through our five-week summer series uh, titled Noise Canceling, and we're asking the question, do regular people really hear from God? And if we were to kind of just simplify it and take it one step further, does God actually speak to people? Does God actually speak to people? And so last week we talked about receiving uh, messages from God on a, ba- a daily basis through his word, right? Every time we open up the word, God is speaking to us. And so today let's talk about when and why God sometimes sounds like someone else. When and why God sometimes sounds like someone else. Ever, ever had someone uh, patiently kind of take the time to explain something in detail to you? Right? They took the time to, uh, to, to explain in detail something that you didn't know. Maybe it was something that you did not understand or unknowingly you were doing it. Uh, you were doing it poorly. And this person came out and took the time to, to kind of, they, they came alongside of you and were like, hey, can I help you with this? Can I help you with this? Can, I, I might know a better way to do it. I, know I might know a better way to do this. Maybe it was how to hold the knife. Ever seen people actually cut food with their knife? It, it's if you were never taught, it's it can, it can be scary. Like let me back up, that knife might just like come out your hand, right? Uh, or maybe it was it was something simple as tying a trash bag or rolling up an extension cord or solving a map or whatever it is. Something real simple. It was something small, but it was it was helpful and it was important. It was a little it was a little thing they showed you but it made a big difference. It wasn't a a series of elaborate lessons or step-by-step. It was just a simple conversation between you and this person, and they wanted to tell you how to do something better. And I I bet you never forgot how to. I bet you never forgot. When you get as married as early as I did, you kind of wind up raising each other. You, find, you kind of finish raising each other. Monica and I finished raising each other. We just left our parents' home, and, and we thought we knew a lot, but the truth of the matter is we didn't know anything. We didn't know anything. And so we kind of just raised each other. She took a little bit about what her mom and her family taught her, and I took a little bit about what my mom and family taught me, and, and two worlds collided, and we were like, oh, that's how you do it. I didn't know that. Like, it's the simplest things. And, and even today, Monica still teach me how to do stuff, right? But that's not my message this morning. It was the simple things, right? And the fact is that you never forgot about it because their personalized explanation was a lot more helpful than just reading the information. Someone could have handed you written instructions or step-by-step, a step-by-step list, but 
it, it, it wouldn't have made much sense or clicked in the same way as if they kind of guided you through the process. It wasn't just that they showed you. It was the way they did it. It's how they approached you. Because we've all had people get annoyed and impatient with our efforts and use the term helping us as an excuse to take over, right? And talk down to us. Ever been there before? Like, like get, get, let me help you, let me help you. You feel like, why can't you just guide me through it? Why can't you just help? Why do you have to take over, right? It never feels helpful whatsoever. But we've also had people step, step up. We've also had people to step in to truly help and we felt seen and we felt valued. They weren't just uh, giving us, they weren't just clear in what they said. They were kind. They were compassionate. And they were caring in the way they said it. Ever been there before? Has anybody ever received that kind of help? The reason those moments impact us so deeply is because we learn best through demonstration and not information. We learn best through demonstration and not information. And when we do, it sticks with us. It sticks with us, right? We may forget what we're told, but we rarely forget what we're taught. That's not just true for life practical lessons, but also it's also true of profound spiritual lessons, like someone explaining the implications of the grace of God, like someone from your new church going out of their way to kind of make you feel welcome and loved, like someone helping you see the, the path that you were on wasn't going to lead you to a good place. These moments often change how we see God and ourselves and, put, and help put in focus the next steps that we need to take, what baggage we need to get rid of, and what kind of person we have the potential to become. But these experiences aren't limited to, to just the positive. Maybe you've had some not-so-great moments when people said things to you about you or about God or sin or hell or the Bible, and those things bounced around in your head, torturing you for years and years. What they said was bad enough, but how? How they said it and the way they treated you reinforced it. Maybe it still, it still haunts you today. Maybe you're still not sure what's true or what God thinks of you. Or maybe, maybe you came to realize that those ideas were incomplete at best or even completely false. And it's taken a while, but you've arrived. You, you've been able to unlearn. You've been able to heal and, and adjust and, and kind of just move on and, and you're not in that same place anymore that you were. Church, the point is the things, 
the things people say to us about God on behalf of God often end up defining how we experience God. I'll say that again. The things that people say to us about God or on behalf of God often end up defining on how we experience God. Point in case, if someone that you care about, that you is part of your life and begins to talk bad about God, that God doesn't do X, Y, and Z, eventually you will begin to experience or feel that that is the way God operates. I think this is a huge part of why God didn't just give us principles in the Bible, but that he gave us the person of Jesus. He didn't just give us this scroll and say, hey, this is what it is. He reinforced it and sent down his son for us. God didn't send an instruction manual or a how-to guide. He came himself as one of us. Jesus came alongside of us and said, hey, let's not throw away this book. Let's not throw away this book, but let me, let me explain what it means. Let me, let me show you how to read it. Let me help you understand it and what to do with it. And Jesus himself made it clear that the human component, the human component of helping people hear God wasn't just going to be limited to just him. That it wasn't just going to be limited to just him. In fact, he said that we would have, we would have a role to play in helping one another hear God's voice to know and know what to do about it. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of age. So not only did he write the scripture that we're to follow, Not only did he understand that, hey, I need to send authority so people can see and actually see that I am real and exist, but I'm also going to reinforce that by having people or using people to share my voice. Make disciples. A disciple disciple is a hands-on learner, right? They may, they're made relationally. Lessons aren't just told to them. They're taught and modeled in front of them. Having disciples wasn't unique to Jesus. But here's what's interesting. Most disciples, most disciples were strictly learning at that time. Most disciples were strictly learning from, from, uh, from and being instructed by a teacher by a rabbi, by a priest, right, a master. But Jesus does something totally new. He jumps on the scene and he begins to do something totally new. He includes his current, still learning, work in progress, haven't figured it all out yet, haven't arrived yet, disciples in the process of making other disciples. And I find that so interesting 
That he didn't, he didn't wait to find or for his disciples to be polished, to get a degree, to fully understand and grasp before putting them to play, putting them to use, putting them to go out and share and make disciples. He tells them to speak on his behalf, to teach them to obey my commands, which is funny because he compressed all of the commandments down to two. He took all of the commandments and said, hey, let me, let me, let me consolidate this and give you two. Two. Matthew 27, uh, 22, uh, 37 and, 37 and 39. You must obey the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two. Those are the two that he gave them. Love your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Which sounds simple enough. On the surface, but in actuality, it can get challenging and difficult really fast. Learning how to live out these two commandments in real life takes practice and requires wisdom. And Jesus seemed to think that we were going to need the help, that we were going to need the help of others, that we were going to need to help each other with these two commandments. Because we learn best through demonstration, not information. Again, we might forget what we've been told, but it's really, really difficult to forget what we've been taught. It's difficult to forget what we've been taught. So the scriptures declare from beginning to end that God has spoken and is speaking. Right? That's what the Word of God says. But here's what's fascinating. They don't always describe it in that same way. The New Testament uses two different Greek words to describe the very essence of how God speaks. First way is logos. Logos is used to describe or to refer to Jesus. Right? He is the embodiment, the embodiment and full expression of God's Heart and thoughts for all of humanity. We learned that in week one. Logos also refers to the words written of God found in the scriptures and we talked about in week two. It's authoritative and it's unchanging. The second way that the Greeks described the, the essence of how God spoke is through Rema. Rema is when God's message is verbalized or spoken. When God's message is verbalized or spoken, which by its very definition means another human being is going to be involved in this message. Logos is objective and applies to all people everywhere. Rema is subjective and specific to a certain person or situation. In other words, when you read the New Testament church, one of the ways that he speaks to us through is through one another. He uses 
other people to speak to each other. I want you to lock in on this. God regularly speaks to people through other people. Because some of us are, are like, listen, if, if it's not in the word, if God didn't speak it, uh, it, it, if he didn't say it directly to me, then but I want to tell you this morning that God uses other people to bless you. God uses other people to speak to you. And honestly, this is the way that he has always approached things. There's always been a human component in helping us hear God speak to us. All through scripture, there's a human component when God is speaking. I want to use this, the example of Samuel and Eli. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, right, vision tells us that visions from God were, uh, were uh, uncommon, right? And, and God speaking was rare. But it also tells us there that God uses Samuel to bless, to serve, to help out Eli. When we read the Bible, it's, it's easy to assume that the people in the stories, right, the people that we read about found faith easier than we do and found hearing God's voice easier than we do. But the truth of the matter is that they were just like us. They were just like us. And what I love about this story of Samuel and Eli is even in seasons when God is talking to you, even in seasons where God is talking to you, it feels where, where it might feel rare and uncommon, God is still speaking. God still wants to share something with you. God still wants to tell you something. The question is, have we positioned ourselves to hear him? Have we positioned ourselves to hear him? Because many of us, we pray. We pray and we get, when we ask God, 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 help, 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 help. But have we really positioned ourselves to hear what he has to say? Many of us say, this is what I need. This is what I need right now to do. Amen. And you walk away. You get left no time for God to, to speak, to answer. Church, here's the reality. There are certain people, places, and things that make it easier for us to hear God. Not because God only speaks through them, but because they prepare and posture our hearts to hear him. You see, we often think that the only posture that prepares us to hear from God is on our knees. But sometimes it's when we're on our feet, when we're loving and serving others, that we're most open to hear what God is saying. Truth be told, and this might ruffle some feathers, you only want to hear from God when it benefits you. And God is saying, why don't you serve me? Why don't you be obedient? Why don't you take the first two steps? Love others. Love me. And see if I don't take care of you. Position yourself to hear from God. Some of us are deftone to God because we have not postured our hearts to hear from him. 
And this is exactly what was true of Samuel. In 1 Samuel 3, uh, verses uh, 3 to 5, it tells us that God calls out to Samuel. God calls out to Samuel, but he thinks it's Eli calling. So he gets up and, and Eli is sleeping. He goes, hey, what is it? You call me? You called me? God spoke to Samuel, but he mistook God's voice for the old guy sleeping in the room next to him. I don't know what the voice, I don't know what the voice of God sounds like, but I usually don't think of that my groggy neighbor downstairs, that, that's his voice. Here's part of what we can learn from this church. God often speaks to us in a familiar accent. Let that sink in for a little bit. God often speaks to us in a familiar accent. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means that he embeds the supernatural in the natural. He finds a way to take his voice, which is supernatural, and weave it into what is natural to you. He moves in the mundane. I think many times we can miss the voice of God, not because it's too strange, but because it's too familiar. He sounds like a song playing on the radio. He sounds like a fleeting thought or an idea. He sounds like the voice of the old man neighbor downstairs. I wonder, church, if the reason God, God speaking to you seems so rare and uncommon is because you're looking and listening for him everywhere else. But his intention is to speak to you where you're at. His purpose is to speak to you in a voice that you understand through the everyday people and the things around you. By the way, Samuel, Samuel was a beginner. Samuel was a beginner and, and Eli, well, Eli was, was a veteran. Eli was the priest, right? Yet so far in this story, nobody, nobody's recognizing what God is saying or doing. In fact, Eli, <laughs> Eli tells Samuel, T -t 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 -t, go back to bed. Shh, 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 come, on. come on, I need some more Z's. Go back to bed. Right? Eli doesn't recognize the voice. Samuel doesn't recognize the voice. But God calls Samuel a second time, which is good news for, for us in the room today. Good news for us in the room, like Eli and Samuel, you probably missed some messages from God. God came calling, God came knocking, and you were too busy sleeping. You were too busy doing something else. You did not recognize the voice of God. I know I have. But what we see in the story is that if there's something God really wants you to know, if there's something that God really wants to tell you, he'll repeat himself. He'll repeat himself. Have you ever had moments where you wondered why certain things kept happening to you? Right? Or certain situations kept repeating. 
And at times it, it, it took me, you know, it, t- it takes us a while. But what I discovered, what I discovered was that there was something God wanted to say to me through these experiences that I wasn't picking up on. So he repeated himself. Sometimes it was twice, sometimes it was three times, sometimes it was more than that. I'm a little stubborn. In this story, God never gets mad. Doesn't get mad that Samuel doesn't know that it's him talking or, 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 or takes a while to figure out what his voice sounds like. He just lovingly and patiently keeps speaking. Verse 7 tells us that Samuel didn't know the voice of God yet. He had not heard the voice of God yet. Sometimes we feel unspiritual. (laughs) Sometimes we feel unspiritual because we don't know how to hear God in the way that he is speaking. But how how would you know to do something that you've never done before? You were made, right? We were all made to walk and talk. But it took us a couple of years It took us a couple of years of falling down a lot, right? Took us a couple of years, uh, maybe a year, couple of years of of talking gibberish before we can talk. Samuel, Samuel didn't know the voice of God yet because that was his first time. Eli, Eli, Eli was older. Eli was wiser and had, had a long relationship with God. What was his excuse? Even though Samuel didn't know what was going on, he was confident Eli could help him sort it out, which isn't an incidental part of the story. It's not by accident that they put this part in in that God uh, inspired this story, right? God regularly speaks to people through other people. But this is what's challenging for us, church, because it, always, it doesn't always come packaged in the way that we think it should. We judge and evaluate others based on their outward appearance, their financial status, or even their success. And sometimes it, 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 it could be something as subjective and silly as if, is this person cool or not? Because if they're cool, then, 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 then I'll take their... I'll take their, their answers or hear from them. But if they're not cool, then I don't think I want to hear from them. Let me tell you what you already know. It's unlikely that the wisest person in your life will also be the coolest person in your life. It's very unlikely that the wisest person in your life will also be the coolest person in your life. And God has a history of speaking through uncool people in uncool ways. Eli was an old man from a different generation. Scripture tells us that he was significantly overweight. So he was a chubby guy. He was an old, chubby guy. Also, why are you laughing? Listen, God don't like ugly. I want to tell you that right off the bat. Uh huh. I'm gonna pray for you. I know those laughs, so I know who's laughing. Okay. Also, he had been the priest. He had been the priest his whole adult life. 
So not only is he chubby, not only is he old, not only has he been doing this for a very long, long time, the truth of the matter is that he's not on the latest and the greatest uh, trends in ancient Old Testament culture. He didn't know the threads. He didn't know the, he didn't have an IG, right? He wasn't into all of this stuff. For us today, we couldn't get more out of touch than this God. In our culture, it's acceptable, even encouraged, to dismiss and disregard the older generation. But can I tell you something this morning? I can't tell you the countless times in the five years that I've been here at this church that I have had moments of talking with Mac and Alicia and the wisdom and the insight that they have blessed me with. For five years, they have probably felt like, Pastor, you've been blessing us. And all I want to say is but you've been blessing me. See, they are a pillar of this church long before the Penas got here, long before many of you got here. They were the ones here praying. They were the ones here serving. They were the ones here giving, learning, maturing. So much so that they're still here today and they are blessing, serving, and giving. We say things like, you're old and irrelevant. The world has passed you by. You just need to sit down and and be quiet. But maybe the very people God wants to speak to you through are the ones that you're rolling your eyes at because they're not cool enough to listen to. Truth is, sometimes that old person isn't just being old-fashioned. They are speaking on behalf of God's wisdom. And honestly, who cares if someone is cool? The question should be, are they like Jesus? Are they like Jesus? Because here's the reality, church. Here's the reality. God uses the wisdom of those around you to interpret and confirm what he's saying to you. And every time that I speak with Mac and Alicia at the very steps, and they tell you, Pastor, I love how you said this. I didn't quite understand it before, or I understood it the way this way, but the way you said it, oh, it brings revelation, it brings understanding, and they they think I am blessing them, but in the truth of the matter, they are blessing me because they are confirming what God has put in my heart. Which is exactly why what Eli does for Samuel. Verse 9, I need to keep running through this quickly. Verse 8 and 9, Eli figures it out. Eli figures out what's going on and he's going to start helping Samuel. A lot of us are tempted to think, I don't need other people. It's just me and God. It's something that I hear all of the time. I don't need other people. It's just me and God. We got it all together. But think about Samuel in this story, church. The dude heard the audible voice of God, but it still, it still wasn't enough. He still needed the wisdom and the advice of another person to step in to help him figure out, to help him figure out that it was God indeed. And number two, how he should respond. Verse 10 and 11, and then God, Samuel begins to talk with God. Now that he understands that it it was God that was speaking, 
He now begins to have a conversation with God. So Samuel takes Eli's advice, and he and God are now having this long conversation about the state of the world and the future and the role that he wants Samuel to take a part in. Church, I want to tell you this morning that God still wants to talk to us in this way. God wants to still talk to us in this way. He wants to talk to you, right? He wants to talk with you about your life and his future. He wants to talk to you about your dreams and his plans. He wants to talk to you just like he did with Samuel. And there are people he wants to include and use to sometimes help you process and make sense of what he is saying to you and how you should respond. Just, just like he did with Eli. The scriptures tell us over and over again in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that we need these kinds of relationship. Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. This is all about relationships, folks, right? Hebrews 20, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Motivate, right? One translation says to spur one another. So what does it mean, right, when we just get to slam people, kind of knock them over the head and tell each other how we really feel and what they're not doing, right? No. In Ephesians 4.15, it tells us to speak truth in love, right? Speak truth in love. Truth describes the content. I want you to grab onto this. Truth describes the content of what's said, but love describes the context, the tone, the heart, and the language of how it's said. You got to have both. You can't just go around smacking people with the truth. You need to do it in love. You feel me? You hear me? Right? That's how we help each other grow to be more like Jesus. But these words from the Apostle Paul describe what all of our conversations and communications with each other should be like, no matter who we're talking to or what we're talking about. When it comes to someone speaking on behalf of God, he gets even more specific. He says in four, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, but one who prophesies strengthens others and encourages them and comforts them. I'm going to get to the bottom of all this, friends. When God speaks to someone, I know that prophesying and prophecies can get a little crazy, a little scary for some people, right? I don't have time to kind of dwell on that this morning. But when God speaks to someone through someone else, it should always, always be to strengthen, encourage, and comfort them. I need you to grab onto that because there might be people in here that want to go speaking on behalf of God and you are just spitting venom. And I want to tell you this morning that when God speaks to someone through someone else, it should always be to strengthen, encourage, and comfort them. It's about building them up, not tearing them down. It should be a force for love in their life, not shame. This is absolutely critical, church. 
because we're tempted to just dismiss it all and think that there, that there's no way that anything anyone else could ever say to us would be from God. That if God wanted to speak to us, he'd just do it and get to, and, 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 and I get that because there's potential for abuse and just craziness, right? But I want you to understand that when we speak, when God uses you to speak to someone else, it must be love and encouragement. So let me wrap this up this morning. I want to give you a simple framework to process, right? To process when God is using someone else to speak to you. Okay? I want to give you these steps. Number one, I want you to weigh it. I want you to weigh it. All right? How do, how do you do that? Simple. The ABCs. Is it affirming? Is it biblical? And is it Christ-like? When someone speaks into your life, process that. Wait, wait it. Is it affirming? Is it biblical? And is it Christ-like? Affirming, does it, does it fit with 1 Corinthians 14.3? Does it strengthen, encourage, and comfort you? Biblical, is it consistent with Scripture or being taken out of context? Christ-like, is it consistent with the character and words and the way of Jesus? Not anybody else. Of Jesus. I don't care how holy we think somebody is. If it doesn't line up with Jesus, you have to second guess that. Also, it's important to think about and evaluate the messenger, the person that is talking, the person that is talking on behalf of God. Jesus tells us that we can know people by their fruit. By their fruit. In other words, what their life is producing. It doesn't mean we blast or dismiss them because they're not perfect or because we know something that they did wrong once. Their imperfection doesn't invalidate what God may be saying. The question is, does this person have a track record of living like Jesus and giving wise counsel? Number two, wait on it. Wait on it. W-A-R-T. Wait on it. Just because something's from God doesn't mean it's for now. Scripture is full of example and messages and declarations that took years or even generations to come to fruition, to be fulfilled. Resist the temptation to either completely dismiss it or try to force it. To force it. Number three, walk in it. Walk on it, right? Wait it, wait on it, and walk in it. God doesn't expect you to make it happen, but he will always, always give you something to do. There's a role that you have to play. There's a part that you have to do. Ask yourself, is there anything practical that I need or can do? What can I do or how should I act in order to move in this direction? You see, God does his part. He speaks. Now we have to do our part. 
and we need to do. If we don't listen to everything God has to say, we eventually won't hear anything he has to say. Which is a problem because we have a tendency to hear what we want to hear and tune out everything else. Truth is, church, we probably need to hear most what we want to hear least. I'll say that again. We probably need to hear most what we want to hear least. And let's be honest, it's hard, it's hard enough to listen when, when it's coming from God. It's even harder when it's coming from God through another person. But if you don't have anyone that you've given permission to regularly speak into your life, to call out the best in you, to challenge you, to be more like Jesus and lovingly and gracious, graciously question your attitudes, actions, and motives and approach. Truth is, you've eliminated one of the primary ways that God wants to speak to you. So here's, what, here's my challenge for you. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to share with a, a fellow Christian Right? Share with a fellow Christian who you respect something that you feel God is speaking to you and apply the ABC filter to it. Affirming, is it affirming? Is it, is it biblical? And is it Christ-like? Why and why not? So take something that you feel that God is speaking to you share it with someone, someone you trust, someone who is a believer and process it through the ABC's filter. And maybe you're wondering who would that be or who could that be for you? You see, historically, artists have had a tendency to add halos in pictures of people uh, who are being moved on by God. But if you were to strip away the halo, they would just look like ordinary people. People like you and I. An average shepherd. A teenage mother. A scruffy fisherman. If you remove the halo, that's what you would see. When I was a kid, I, I always thought that the point of the halo was to tell us that these people were special that they were holy. But it's actually the opposite as I've learned. They gave them halos to highlight the fact that they were just common, ordinary people. The artist depicted them this way to remind us that the common people we connect with on a daily basis might be speaking to us from underneath a hidden halo. Truth, truthfully, it's, that's been the story of my life and experience. God has often used ordinary, common people to speak into my life. A friend, a pastor, my wife, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, a coach, ordinary people, ordinary people. 
who God has used to help direct my path, help lead me, help position me where I am today. So church, what if you began to look, to look around your life, looking for ordinary people that God may be using to speak to you? What might God be wanting to tell you? What might God be trying to, what direction might he be trying to steer you in? Because God speaks to us through other people. Amen?